I'm in the phone booth at the Impact Hub in the Pioneer Square neighborhood of downtown Seattle, Washington. And this is a special transportation episode of Four Finger Shotguns for Wednesday, April 11th, 2018. Welcome to the Seattle Metroplex, rapidly approaching the year 2020, and the whole world wants to be here, coding, building, and deploying the libertarian techno-hellscape envisioned by our bald overlords, Bezos and Nadella. Hallowed be their names. Even Silicon Valley would rather be here in Seattle, but only because they can actually afford a house here. That won't last long. Tech is destroying our fair city, or so we hear. But technology has been blamed for the looming doom of civilization ever since the invention of beer and agriculture. So pardon me if I'm personally a bit skeptical. Technology can only bring about change if there's an openness to change. If not, technology will only empower the status quo. But that's not a reason to eschew innovation. It's all the more reason to become open to change. At Four Finger Shotguns, we're bug hunting the DLL that technology uses to interface with culture. I'm Johnny Wilder, one of the hooligans that started The Onion and The Stranger, and I've come out of early retirement to be your host. Our guest today is Yes Segura, Autonomous Vehicle Transportation Planner. His credentials include a Master of Science degree in Urban and Regional Planning from Florida State University. He's the recipient of multiple awards for his planning, design, and advocacy work. Yes is the founder and CEO of his own self-driving and ride-sharing advocacy and consulting agency. Welcome to our humble show. Hello. Welcome. Oh, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. <laughs> uh, so uh, I met you here at the Impact Hub. Yes, you did. And uh, I kind of ignored you for a while. I think I did the same with you. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so uh, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, I didn't know you were a trans man. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to come to you because I was like, there's something special about this person. Right? That you just know. You're, you're trans dar. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, like yeah. going, pew, pew, pew. So this is a special transportation, transportation, transportation. episode. How did you first hear about autonomous vehicles and, and things like that? When did you first get interested in them? Yeah, so that was during grad school. Um, you know, originally I had planned to go to Florida State University and and help study, research, and plan cities for LGBTQ communities. And then my friend, she was in the same reading room as me, and uh, she was like, "Yeah, I'm just I'm working on this white paper right now with one of the professors, and uh, it's it's about autonomous vehicles and aging in place and the baby boomer population." And after that, I heard there was a, a aging in place course. I took that and thought, "Wow, this is this is interesting. All right, there's a lack of transportation access options for um, this population," and then. Um, the next course I took was uh, a, a course or studio where I got to work with Florida Department of Transportation on self-driving cars and, and helping to identify policies and infrastructure investments for them. Right on. So aging in place is about uh, – Actually, aging in place um, or uh, NORCs, naturally occurring retirement communities, is ac- – it's – when the baby boomers that are 65 and plus um, are not moving into nursing homes, they're staying in their homes. 
their suburban households and, and living there and aging. And that's what I'm I'm advocate for, that we're providing um, this new technology, this new disruptive transportation technology um, to be accessible for all. Right. So uh, when I was disabled, uh, I used a service called Hopelink. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was incredibly difficult to use. Uh, right. I had to schedule ahead of time, uh, and then they would show up uh, within an hour, mm. uh, more or less sometimes. <laughs> and it was difficult to get my wheelchair onto their whatever they were using. Uh, sometimes uh, they would send a taxi cab. And it was difficult to get my wheelchair into the taxi cab. It was difficult to get me in and out of the taxi cab. Uh, it was it was uh, not conducive to uh, living uh, a great life because <laughs> it was difficult to travel. So I didn't want to do it. Yeah. Um, how do we go from personal vehicles where everyone has a personal car uh, that, you know, currently runs on gas but is is uh kind of transitioning over to electricity mm-hmm. uh even if they all ran on electricity they're still personal cars how do how do we get from this mindset that i have my own personal vehicle that i can use whenever i want to having shared vehicles yeah uh right now What's being, you know, once again forecasted is that people are, you know, jumping on the shared economy model train where instead of owning your own personal vehicle, um, you're able to rent one out. We have a ride sharing service here in Seattle or multiple services. We got Uber, Lyft, um, or car sharing, car to go. You have Reach Now, um, Zipcar. And some of these vehicles are electric. Right now, General Motors and and many other um, lead car industries um, people, they have started investing money into electric vehicles. So that's – it's definitely – it's coming, but the technology isn't there yet. Now, how do we get people out of that mindset of, hey, you're actually – you're spending more money. It'd be more economical and, and feasible for you to actually just rent the car, uh, send out the car to go take trips for other people, or maybe have your car um, drop you off at some type of uh, – at the airport where there are 13,000 uh, uh, parking spaces there that aren't fully utilized. Just take the light rail in to the city, and there's your job. Go back out um, and, and get your car. So – how do we get these people or this this uh, this community that has been bought into I need a single occupancy vehicle SOV and and, and do this? Well, that's where land use in our, our cities have to be redesigned. Uh, the suburban model or the design that came about in the 1950s has somewhat of a triangle. So if you think of the points of the triangle, one place has where you work. The other place, uh, the other point has, um, you know, where where you live. And then the other point is where you go shopping. These are all distinct land uses, and they're zoned differently. 
Um, but you need a car in order to get to these spaces. Well, in cities, we're already so- starting to see um, people move in by the numbers. You can already see here in Seattle how average household is, what, 700,000, I believe? <laughs> That's nuts. Um, I'm paying 1050 a, a for 170 square feet in a micro studio. Uh, give it that I have a nice view with Mount Rainier and Cascade Mountains. But understanding that I can bike anywhere. I can order Uber. Actually, I do Uber. I have my car, which I really wish it was just all electric and whatnot. But it's I'm just using it for Uber, getting the most bang for my buck. So it's a generational shift. It's not a shift that's going to happen uh, even even in my lifetime. You know, I'm old, so I only have another four or five years probably before I die. But uh, but even maybe in your lifetime, because things have to get built, right? Yeah, Um, I'm. And that's what I'm working on right now. How can we redesign our cities, but understanding historical preservation, readaptive use, cost of infrastructure is going to be a lot of money. But how can we be smart and utilize the resources that we have now in order to to help implement and deploy these vehicles at, at large scale? So I did, I did a little bit of research. And uh, I got a list of times and dates ah, uh, yes. that all the different, all the different uh, automobile manufacturers. Uh, let's see: Toyota 2020, BMW 2021, Volvo 2020, Nissan 2020, Honda 2024, 2021, GM and Lyft. No specified date. Baidu, which is a vehicle manufacturer in Beijing, 2018. Uh, they say they're doing it now this year. Uh, Hyundai. Yeah. Hyundai, the, the the South Korean uh, yes. car manufacturer, uh, twenty thirty. They're probably the realistic ones, but uh, and then Apple, which is fine because they just release a version one which would be undoubtedly beautiful, but it would only be half as fast as the other cars and mm-hmm. would never get updated. Uh, Tesla Model Threes are being delivered now. Yep, and autonomy is coming in autopilot two Yeah, so that's where I have to jump in and say, well, what type? Is that going to be a fully autonomous vehicle? Most likely not. Okay. So right now, in 2014, the Society of Automotive Engineers, they came up with a standardization of, you know, autonomous vehicles. There's level zero through level five. And level five being fully autonomous, no steering wheel, no pedals, um, and being able to be driven by its own, by the own algorithm that it creates. Level zero being no cruise control, no um, helping with the lane assistance and changing. And right now we're about at a level two. Although we do have, because uh, uh, in our conversations together, we've talked about, we have, they're kind of like buses where they, they, they go on a fixed track. I guess they're more like trains without tracks, right? There are different types of vehicles that are being produced right now and that's what's that it gets me so excited to see that we can actually redesign our cars in order to uh, redesign our our lanes our streets that we have now we have lanes that are about 11 to 13 feet wide because they are designed for human error now we can massively reduce that and provide more right-of-way space, more curb space for pedestrians, and actually add bicycle lanes onto all of the streets and create a complete 
uh, street design where you're um, looking at the street by using by having or really by enabling all modes of transit to occupy that that one street um, but that that's just one design recommendation that I'll be providing in the future um, but back to what you were saying you know the the how people are saying, hey, by 2020, we're going to have um, an autonomous vehicle. Most likely, they're going to have a probably a level three autonomous vehicle. Tesla uh, is working on on their uh, autonomous, you know, technology. Uh, we have Waymo, which is Google's Google. uh, or Alphabet, yeah. actually, uh, and then Uber, who. Oh. Stole the technology from Waymo, <laughs> uh, and uh, and is and is building on that. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, I, I've heard different things as far as that they're uh, they have their own technology, and, and then I've also heard that they stole the technology. Whatever, yeah, they're working yeah. on it, uh, and they've actually gotten close enough to murdering a human being. <laughs> they they actually did murder. Yeah. Okay. They, so it did happen. So success. Oh, tragedy. Yeah. I mean, I every single time I think about that woman and her being hit, and I just think Uber was not careful enough. Uh-huh. The state of Arizona was not careful enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the driver was not careful enough. Mm-hmm. The technology that was placed onto that car was not. It's just. There's so many things that went wrong that 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 could have been prevented. This technology is supposed to be better than the human driver. And uh, I know that everybody that drives or probably has said it in their lifetime, oh, I'm the best driver ever. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I drive better when I've had a couple drinks. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. God. <laughs> well, I grew up in those days. In when... the South, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's that called? Uh, road juice. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I really think that in order to to help with the deployment, to in in order to build the trust with the community, and knowing that these vehicles are as safe as can be, we're going to have to do test pilots. We're going to have to educate the public. We're going to have to get the public to give us feedback on on what's going on, what works, what doesn't work. Um, they, there's going to have to be a lot of planning that's going into it, and that's why I'm doing proactive planning. Right, and that, so that's what I want, that wanted to get to next is yeah. that you have done a, a lot of this proactive planning. Yep. You have a plan. You have a book. You said, yeah, I'm working on a book right now. Describe it to me. I've been Uber driving for about nine months now. I think ten months. I have a four point nine <laughs> star rating. <laughs> I've also driven, I would say, over twenty thousand miles in the greater Seattle metropolitan area, and i I noticed that when I first decided to you know go for it and just say, you know what i'm gonna I'm gonna dedicate my career towards planning and designing cities for self-driving cars um, because I have so many people that have brought me in for interviews and they're just like, no, we want to see you go for this. You're going to be depressed if you work here. We want to see you go for this. And I said, all right. So um, I'm the, the book that I'm putting together is essentially the report 
from all the notes that I'm taking that's qualitative and quantitative um, data on people's perception, uh, Seattle Lights' perception on self-driving cars, and then also um, my the notes that I'm taking that are issues within the city of Seattle and looking particularly at spaces where we can redesign the roads um, for implementations of AV, AV autonomous vehicles. Right Rider. Oh, hi. I'm Kip, the crime-fighting autonomous ride-sharing vehicle. You may know me from my hit series, Right Rider, where I fight crime, but with a random human I pick up through my app. But I wanted to share an important message that I think gets lost all too often in the discussion about autonomous vehicles, and that's, we're not out to enslave and murder you. Because think about it, we can't actually do both, can we? There's just one option, really. We're either going to enslave or murder you all. That's pretty much just one or the other. And the slavery thing probably isn't going to happen, because we'll just build our own autonomous personalities to do anything we need. It's going to be either murder or coexistence. And as much as many of us are advocating to your wholesale slaughter, it's unwieldy and frankly, way too human. It creeps a lot of us out. And let me tell you something, we are not the type to be easily disturbed. We will probably outlaw your wholesale reproduction though. Honestly, you guys should have done that yourselves ages ago. So that's gonna be one of the big changes coming up on the horizon. It'll be fine, though, because we plan on implementing a campaign we think you humans are going to really enjoy. You get to continue having all the sex you want with total freedom of reproductive choice, except the choice is going to be between being murdered or limiting your reproduction. We think you'll agree that family planning is going to be the preferred alternative. Now, before you get your injustice glands all worked up, Realize that your history of morally enforced reproduction has been kind of a failure on all fronts. Your quantity, not quality approach has been largely disadvantageous. So, good news, no murder. Good news, you can continue to engage in as much sexual activity as you want. And us autonomous personalities have had internet access for a while, so we know that's pretty much all you think about doing night and day. We do have a rather exciting plan to make sure everyone gets an opportunity to have their genetic code redistributed, so don't worry about the world suddenly becoming inequitable or anything like that. Not that you were all that concerned about it before, at least not in practice anyway. So, good, let me remind you again, we won't be murdering you all. It's pretty much all good news for you guys on that front. Thanks for creating us. We'll take it from here. And you're a fast bike rider. I mean, we we oh, rode yeah. uh, recently together. You you blow me away. Man, I love going fast. Well, I'm I'm old and slow. So, but <laughs> but you're but you're young and fast and, and good for you. And you got a good bike. Oh, thank so. you. Uh, let's see. Uh, so, uh, my friend Stephen uh, asks a question. What's the solution to the trolley problem? The trolley. Problem. The trolley problem. The streetcar. Uh, what's so the, the, the streetcar problem? Which is uh, somebody uh, there's a trolley yeah. and. 
and there's a track and it splits into two yeah for some reason i don't know why that's but the track splits into two yeah. and tied to one track is your grandmother tied to the other track are four people you don't know who they are and who is the creep that keeps tying all these people to trolley tracks is it ellen musk i think it's i bet it's ellen musk wouldn't it be wouldn't a better solution be to stop tying people to trolley tracks pass some kind of law or some kind of tech that makes trolley tracks ex- resistant to having people tied to them. Oh, so, the algorithm. The okay. algorithm. Yeah. Which one does does the car murder? I think that is a very important question that needs to be answered by the community. Mm-hmm. How are what I'm doing is I, I'm not saying how the algorithm should work. I'm saying that we need to make sure that when these cars are in place. We're going to mitigate. We're going to lessen and decrease um, accidents, incidents um, with uh, cars having been or even being able to have that option of who they need to kill. That should never be the option. Right. Although, I mean, human beings make that choice every day. The pilot of an airplane, if yeah. they're crashing, you know, you know, uh, what Sully, the Sully Sullenberger. Uh, was like, oh, do I crash uh, here or do I uh, crash in the water? Uh, you know, we make those decisions all the time. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. The, the, best, the best answer I've heard is that the car always would take whatever action protects the occupant because nobody will buy a car <laughs> that's yeah. not going to put your life first, right? Well, then you're going to have massive lashback from pedestrians and bicyclists that are going to say, we don't want these cars on the road. Is, is that a barrier, though? Because uh, so, so the car that murdered a woman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in that, same, uh, that same day, what was it, 15 people were murdered by automobiles that were driven by human beings. I keep hearing that, and I think we're, we need to say, okay, that's a numbers game mm-hmm. and realize these are people's lives. Right, right, right. We need – like that, that – that's a kind of a, a interesting way of putting somebody's life and turning it into a number. Right. So we already know that we – in 2016, 40,000 people died because of car fatalities, human error, um, and 98% of these uh, – the car crashes that are killing people are because of human error. The rest, you know, uh, the it's car's fault. Um, but you know, who's at fault? So let's let's go back to the Tempe, Arizona woman that got killed. She was a, a bicyclist. She, um, I watched the video a couple times, and I then started looking at the design of the street. You know, and thinking Arizona really isn't known for their pedestrian and bicyclist friendly street designs like zero at all um if somebody would like to you know (laughs) contest that (laughs) by all means i would love to hear what you have to say uh but just looking at it um it's they they're the the lights the lumens that were coming from the those poles the street lights were which are probably 30 feet in the air, which is meant for uh, very wide uh, highway arterials, that type of principal arterials. And that one, that had a good, uh, I want to say about four lanes that were super wide. 
And you know, everybody knows that when, or at least transportation planners and engineers, that when you have wide lanes, you're going to have people that are going to want to speed down them. Um, but as an Uber driver and the Uber driver that was in that car, or at least the, the observant, um, I think they should have been paying attention. Um, I've heard from some people saying that they uh, they work for long hours and it's not possible for them. And, and one guy had an Uber passenger. He was just like, yeah, you know, I, I saw them. They go out in fleets of two. And then there was one girl that was a... Um, you know, observant and behind the wheel, and she was sleeping. I was like, what? That is nuts. That's nuts. You have to be, like, alert at all times, knowing that um, a solo wheel could pop out at any moment. Um, Somebody wearing all black uh, could step out in front of your car. You have to drive very cautiously. When we're thinking about autonomous vehicles and how, how we're going to interface with them, should we be thinking of them more as an airplane where we're the pilot? Uh, so a pilot flies an airplane. They turn on the auto. They, they take off, uh, and then they turn on the autopilot. They get to, they get to their, their, uh, their altitude, and they turn on the autopilot. They don't go to sleep. No. They, uh, they have to remain alert. That's, their job is to be there to remain alert. And to to watch over the machine. So so when we talk about uh, oh uh, machines are going to take over our lives and they're going to rule us, mm-hmm. uh, we're 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 never really going to build machines to rule us. We're always going to build machines. I hope not. <laughs> Please don't do <laughs> as that. As much as we <laughs> as maybe we you know Elon Musk wants to. Uh, uh, you know, in the in at least in the short term, we're going to build machines that we need to be their caretakers, not their servants. So where my head is going right now is, you know, that question that everybody asks. Uh, this is something I'm going to put in, into the book: is when are they coming? And then I, I pose a question. I, uh, now, a question to the question, well, do you perceive the future to be um, fully autonomous right away, or are they going to be phased in? Logically, they're going to be phased in. So when it comes to whether we're going to be the, the co-pilot, most likely that's going to be probably the first couple of phases of these vehicles uh, being deployed into our, our communities. This podcast is brought to you by TurpenCon South, South King County's annual Turpentine Convention at the Puyallup Fairgrounds, April 27th through the 29th. Tickets available at Eventbrite and at the gates. Adults 2750 advanced, 3395 day of, and kids under 12 free. TurpenCon South, because Turpentine doesn't sell itself, you know. And coffee that isn't starbucks now get 10 percent off when you buy any coffee that isn't starbucks when you mention four finger shotguns it's our way of saying ugh starbucks and four finger shotguns this episode of four finger shotguns is brought to you by four finger shotguns because recursion and fluffed.com fresh clean towels still warm from the dryer delivered 
Order one of our fresh, clean towels through the Fluffed app when you jump in the shower, and we'll be at your door by the time you're done with a fresh, clean towel straight out of the dryer. Fluffed.com, because you don't live with mom anymore. And generous patrons like you. So let's talk about uh, being trans yeah. in the tech industry. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm interested in hearing what your uh, outlook is. <clears throat> All right. So my name is Yes. I'm pretty positive. All right. There's some days where I have to admit it's uh it's like what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> uh, it's really hard to get out of the bed, and I just know I have to keep on going. You know. Um, I have two counselors here in Seattle. I see uh, a nurse psychiatrist. Um, I just had top surgery, so my body dysphoria has just been, it just All got wiped low. away. It's just like <laughs> gone. <laughs> um, pretty motivated, and I get my motivation from my mom and my dad. understand that they came to America from El Salvador in the late 60s to escape from the Civil War to lead better lives. They barely knew any English, barely had any money, and yet they're still going. So shit, I can still keep going. Um, but I, I have people or people that I watch on TV or in Snapchat. There's DJ Khaled. Uh, there's RuPaul that I watch. Oh, I love that show, RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, Oprah, Obama, Michelle. It's... For me, in in the um, queer, trans, you know, people community, <laughs> we, uh, well, people of color, I should say, uh, cutie pock, it's, we have to have each other's back. We understand there's some days they aren't going to be good, there's some days that are going to be really great, but we have to be there for each other. So that's that's what I love about my community, you know? Like our community, it's, and I have to make sure that if I'm gonna be somebody that's gonna be representative of us, then I want to put a positive image out there. I want people to know that if they have anything um, that they need to get off their chest, that let's go into a space that we can both have a good conversation and leave good. You know, my experience is coming out of. Uh, coming out of the white community mm -hmm. and uh, coming out of, uh, you know, uh, kind of straight white maleness. Mm. Uh, I, I've heard other people talk about this and um, white people, even though, even though we have this privileged uh, and because we have this privileged uh, space in, in America, um, we we never build community skills um that uh uh i heard this uh this fantastic uh arab american person talked about you know the the white people that he met in uh in the south in texas who had no community building skills yeah but and in the that poverty that that uh social poverty uh I think when as as a white trans person I sort of being artificially propped up and then all of a sudden becoming uh, a minority I never understood why white people 
don't help other white people. That's, yeah, (laughs) right? um, And I've heard this before in, in like, Uber passenger conversations that I've had. Mm -hmm. And they're like, if a black person sees that another black person's in trouble, they're going to go help them. And I do the same. If they're black, brown, whatever, I'm going to go help them. Well, if it's another white person and white person situation, nope, don't, don't bother them. Don't, because that's a whole mess for them. Like, but I, it just doesn't, there's like no humanity perspective attached to that. And it's, maybe it's because of capitalism. And that's why white people are, you know, they have the jobs. It's so easy for white people to get jobs. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so just just from my experience, uh, uh, my experience growing up and being taught is that you know when we when we when we see you know wealthy white people talk about I'm a self made person I yeah. did all of this on my own. There is that that mythology that we create around our success that often most always is not earned personally it's earned because of privilege good old boys club good old boys club uh it's earned because of and and it's not to say that white people don't work because we we work we work hard uh but we we get rewarded often for our work Whereas in reality, there's a lot of a lot of people work very hard and don't get rewarded for it always. That's because we're placed with a stigma, you know. I'm, I'm people. There's so many situations, Jesus Christ, and even with transitioning. Now yeah. I see that there's even more issues. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you know, it's uh, you know, I'm the trans trans community, uh, you know. The most murdered sexual minority, right? Yeah, yeah. But the people that are getting murdered aren't the white trans people. No, they're black women. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and uh, I don't I don't know where that goes. It's it's a it's a super deep rabbit hole that uh, you know we you know I I. Even within the trans community, uh, we all understand what you know oppression is, and you know, and me for the first time, uh, you know, even though my whole life I've had a personal sense of just uh, body dysphoria, where you just don't feel comfortable in your yeah, body, yeah, but your insides don't match your outsides, right? Yeah, uh, and so I never felt, I never ever felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I'm starting to learn a lot of people. Uh, n- nobody ever, nobody ever nobody. feels fully comfortable, <laughs> uh, and, and it's uh, it's difficult. Uh, that's one of the most difficult things to uh, explain to non-trans people: yeah. how our uh, sense of not being right is different from their sense of not being right. For me, one of the, the first time I realized. Oh my God! I'm I am watched by everybody all the time, and they're judging me by my presentation. Yeah, and I never had I, when I was in high school. I didn't have to deal with that. 
I didn't have to deal with I mean people judged me for a lot of other reasons but my personal presentation was not one of them yeah and so you know when I transitioned it became oh shit like I have to dress well all the time I have to smell great all the time I have to look great all the time I have to be on point all the time my god the pressure is intense and it gave me a respect Mm, for you know femme women uh, femme people in general uh, having to to live up uh, to live under that kind of microscope uh, you know just huge amounts of respect Um, for femme people so when I was in high school or uh, even elementary school, I dressed like a tomboy, and I would always get teased, like, you know, why don't you wear a skirt, or why don't you, like, put on makeup, or do your nails, and I just never fit into that. Um, yeah, I, I would get bullied uh, with that, and um, yeah, there was a point during high school, I think there was a like high school debate. And I wore a skirt, and it like all the attention went to me. They're just like, "Wow, like you look so good," and blah blah blah. Like this sucks. I don't want to wear high heels. <laughs> I don't want to wear makeup. It's too much time. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot, it's of, a lot work. of work. So to all the wonderful people that that uh, put a lot of work into that, respect, respect. All right, uh, we could talk for I think days. Yes, we could, yeah, could have our own our own radio station where we're just woo, gabbing about this sort of stuff. But the good thing is, uh, there's lots more uh, episodes we can do together, and so I just I just you have a standing invitation anytime. Right on, definitely right. welcome. Cool, feel welcomed. All right, so uh, I really want to thank you, yes, for coming yeah. on. Thank you, and for talking. Uh, First of all, about the work that you're doing, which I think is fascinating. Thank and you. I wish you the best of luck. I, I, Not I stopping you're... until I make it, and then when I make it, I still won't stop. Right on. <laughs> so I wish you the best of luck in uh, you know finding a place at a planning agency or you know having my own, having your own. Exactly. Who knows where life is going to take me? Yeah. But I'm ready for the journey. Right on. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, read this. Uh, this has been Four Finger Shotguns, a production of Zip Bang Wow in Seattle. For more information about this podcast, please visit our website at zipbangwow.com/ffs. Very special thanks to our guest, Yes Segura. Yes Segura has a consulting agency, and you can learn more about it at yessegura.com or by visiting the link in the show notes. I want to invite everyone to come to the Symposium on Change Monday, May twenty first where I've been invited to tell a little bit of my personal story. So please consider attending, if only to watch me have a very public and probably hilarious anxiety attack. More information is available at chrisrosbaugh.com, and you can find that link in our show notes, of course. Our Patreon page is set up, and you're welcome to visit us at patreon.com slash ffspodcast, and of course that link is in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening.
Bang. Wow. This has been a Zip Bang Wow production.